letters. I was very quick and loved reading from the start, and I believe he enjoyed his self-assigned role of teacher as much as I loved the printed word. When I proudly read my first complete literary sentence to him, unassisted, the professor startled me by laughing out loud. I had chosen the book from several he had scattered on the table earlier in the week and had worked on the first page so diligently that I fell asleep at night clasping the novel. It is a truth, universally acknowledged, I began, that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. I didn't stumble over any of the words even acknowledged, which had taken me a while to figure out, and I didn't understand what he found amusing in my reading. For a moment, I hesitated. A child among adults all my life, and having learned caution at an early age because of it. But his eyes remained kind. His had been the laughter of a quiet joke, not directed at me specifically, and not mocking. So, after another reassuring glance at his face, I bent my head and started reading again, I didn't understand everything I read, but I loved the rhythm of words and the sound of the story, loved, too, the puzzle of reading, putting the pieces together and making sense of it all. I was too young then to understand the irony of that particular sentence in our circumstances at the sanctuary and why it must have struck the eccentric professor as funny. I understand better now. Besides reading, he taught me arithmetic and writing, both of which came easily and never caused me a moment's puzzlement or labor. With the professor's encouragement, I scribbled, as my mother always called it, from my early years, created stories and poems, wrote letters to imaginary friends, started the habit of maintaining a journal that I continue to this day. His was the only schooling I ever had, but it was more than enough I never knew the man's real name, and by the time I was nine, Ellie did away with the piano entirely, so I never saw him after that, and didn't have the chance to thank him for what he gave me. But, because of the professor, I discovered the better way, he mentioned, and didn't follow in my mother's footsteps. To this day, I wish there was some way I could let him know how those few hours a week so many years ago changed the course of my life. My mother, who was indifferent to both reading and writing, never knew what to make of my predilection for learning. At times she would be weakly scornful, unsure of its attraction for me, perhaps wondering what changeling had been left on her doorstep, who could lose herself for hours in the printed word. At other times she would show me off to the girls in the house. Look at my hope, mother would say. That girl has more brains than all of us together pride was clear in her voice. But something else, too. Something more ambiguous and harder to interpret. Perhaps emphasizing my intellectual accomplishments allowed her to ignore the fact that I was growing up and filling out in other ways, and she was growing older. I spent most of my early years trying to stay one step ahead of my mother, trying to love and understand her, and in the way some children reverse the roles, trying to protect her. I couldn't explain why I thought she needed my protection. She was sixteen when I was born, no longer a child in either years or experience, and she was beautiful. As a very little girl, I can recall her straight, smooth golden hair fanning out about her shoulders on the pillow. 
I can see myself tracing the line of her perfectly arched brow with my finger as she slept, surprised when she awakened, those brilliant green eyes laughing at me, perhaps loving me. I was never quite sure of that. Mother was mercurial at best, often despondent and at other times so brilliantly gay her presence lit a room and made lamps unnecessary. Because morning was the only time I had any real freedom, and she of necessity slept well into the afternoon, my time with her was limited. Although we usually lunched together, I never knew what to expect from day to day, and so learned to be quiet and watchful until I could take a cue from her. Was she lethargic and exhausted, requiring me to be very quiet and speak only when spoken to? Or perhaps she would be brittle and short-tempered, letting me know in her special way that nothing I said or did pleased her. The very good days saw her happily pleased with herself, satisfied and content with whatever had happened the night before.